Amen and amen. Oh, friend, is that your song today? Your hope, and not just the kind of hope that is a desire, but not sure how it's going to turn out. Your confident expectation of the day when you meet your Savior. Today might be the day that He comes. Today might be a day that we go to meet Him. Certainly, today is a day when He can become your life and your peace and your strength, your everything. If you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 15. We are continuing in our series on the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, we come to a passage that is very famous uh, and, of course, very powerful. We read together from verse 12 of John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. It was actually a challenging week in preparing this sermon, which kind of caught me by surprise. This is not an unfamiliar passage. In fact, it's one of Jesus' sayings that is most well known not only in the church but even outside of the church. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. I have seen it on t-shirts this week, uh, and this weekend is a time actually in which many will think of this phrase of Jesus in the context of Memorial Day as our nation very appropriately remembers the many who have laid down their lives on the battlefield for freedom, and some literally doing so to save the lives of their friends. So it's not an unfamiliar passage, but it was difficult in one sense because there's so much in here, and in another sense because one of the things that, that I try to do is get the whole flow of the passage and tie it all together and put it in a nice little box and put a bow on it and present it, and it was really hard to tie all of this together. And I think what the Holy Spirit told me is that there was too much of me involved in that, and why don't we just talk about Jesus? Because this passage says so much about Jesus. Uh, we, we have as a theme, show them Jesus, who He is, how very precious it is to know Him, 
and how it is that we can show others to our Savior. So as we look at this passage, one of the things about Jesus that is obvious, it jumps right out. Pastor Cameron talked about it last week, and in fact, this theme has come up throughout the whole series, and that is very simply that Jesus loves you. Jesus said, as I have loved you. It's intriguing to me. It always catches my attention in reading Ephesians 3 or even thinking of Ephesians 3 in praying Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 that he specifically prays that the believers will have power to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. Power to grasp. What he's talking about is the fact that our finite minds are so limited that we can't wrap our hearts and our minds around the infinite dimensions of Christ's love for us. We need a miracle just to begin to understand how loving is our Savior towards us. And so we pray this morning for power to begin to grasp, to understand that love. It's not an unfamiliar theme in the Gospel of John. Jesus' first major discourse in John chapter 3, as he's talking with Nicodemus, he speaks of the Father's love for us. Another, probably the most famous statement of Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And the theme of God's giving love and the sacrificial love of Jesus towards us comes out all throughout the book of John. We are reminded very strongly of it at the beginning of John chapter 13, the beginning of the upper room discourse, where John tells us that having loved his own, so all this time Jesus loved the disciples, he now would show them the full extent of his love. And Jesus keeps talking about love and keeps talking about love. It's kind of like he wants us to get a point here. His last words to his disciples are filled with the theme, I love you, and so you must love one another. And then, of course, it all leads to the cross, where is the greatest demonstration of God's love towards us. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, do you want to know that God loves you? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the special kind of sacrificial love that belongs to God and comes to us from God. It's not love that is offered in reciprocation for something, but love that is freely given despite who we are, despite the fact 
that we live in sin. While we were still sinners, while we had no interest in God, while we were living in enmity towards God, while we were setting ourselves up as little gods in our own lives by following the inclinations of our hearts and even the things that we think are good and make us righteous, while we were living in our own little idolatry, God gave his son for us. This is the message of the cross that Jesus was going to, that he, God in the flesh, who knew no sin, who deserved no punishment, who instead deserved all glory and honor and praise, that he went to the cross, as we already sang this morning, that he went to a cross in our place, taking upon himself our sin. He who knew no sin became sin, became sin for us on that cross, absorbing upon himself the full wrath and justice of a holy God poured out on him. And he died in our place. And the only motivation there was God's glory expressed in his love towards us. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us. That's what he has to say throughout this whole passage, and that's what he says to us here. I love you so much that I will die for you. And then being raised from the dead in victory, the kind of victory we sang about this morning, Having defeated sin and death, he offers us life. Jesus loves us. And it goes beyond that. Another thing that we see in this passage, we read about it, you, there's no way that you can miss it. Jesus calls us friends. Let's look together at verse 14, which I think I told them to put up there, but maybe I didn't. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus calls us friends. I have no other way to describe it than the miracle of friendship with Jesus. The wonder of friendship with Jesus. The astonishing, astounding, unexpected, unanticipated. You could never even dream of it. Jesus calls us friends. Remember, we just talked about it. We were enemies of God. He loved us, but we were living at enmity, enmity towards him. We were in a position of being objects of God's wrath, totally unworthy of any interaction with him, only worthy of being completely separated from him, and yet he offers us his son to give us salvation. And, and even that lifts us up to a position that we could never deserve, a lowly object of God's grace and mercy, but still unworthy even to be called a servant. Nothing in us that makes us worthy even to be called a servant of God. 
But Jesus goes beyond that and he says, I'm not even calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. There's no other God. They're all actually demons, but no other God in the Scriptures who is a friend of those who follow Him. There's no other God in the world who offers friendship towards His subjects. Throughout all of the Old Testament up until this moment, there's only one person who is ever even referred to as a friend of God. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute. God spoke to Moses as one speaks to a friend, but that is a manner of interaction. Abraham is the only one who is called God's friend. Everybody else, through all those generations, nobody's called a friend of God. And then Jesus just makes that friendship available to every one of us. And that itself is not the full extent. Because later on, he calls them brothers. You and I, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Remember, we're only worthy of being lowly objects of wrath. Can't even dare to pretend to call ourselves servants. He instead calls us friends and brothers and sisters, heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You are a daughter of the living God. You are a son of the living God. How amazing is that grace? It's nothing short of a miracle, the miracle of friendship with Jesus. But there's a challenge here. And actually, here's where I asked them to show verse 14. <laughs> because there's a condition placed on this friendship. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, some of you might know that there is a use of the word if in the New Testament that actually means since. Do you remember when, uh, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the desert? And he said, if you are the Son of God, then call these stones bread and, and turn them into bread. And Jesus knew very well, Satan knew very well who Jesus was, and he was saying since. So going into this passage, I was really hoping we were having one of those since uses of if, but actually no. This condition genuinely has a sense of being a condition. It's possible to be otherwise. You are my friends if you obey my commands. And that can lead us into some pretty seriously erroneous thinking. It can lead us to thinking we have to do something in order to earn Jesus' love. That's what it looks like at first glance. This is one of those places where it's very important to let the whole context of Scripture and the context of the Gospel of John guide our thinking. Jesus has made it very clear throughout the Gospel of John. We already quoted John 3.16, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. 
You don't earn God's love by doing certain things, by following certain laws. Jesus makes it very clear that we are saved by our faith in Him. So we have to reject the kind of, of works thinking that can begin to come out when we look at this passage. We also have to reject an idea of a closed circle that nobody can ever break into. Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus loves his friends, and his friends are those who obey his commands. And so you have this circle of friendship, this kind of click, the friends of Jesus, and those are the ones that he gives his life for, and everybody's left out, and there's no way to get into that. And again, it's so clear throughout the Gospel of John that the circle of salvation is not a closed circle that shuts all of the unlucky people out. Jesus says in order that anyone, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what's going on here? The key was to focus in on the word commands. Jesus says, obey my commands. And the interesting thing, if you look at the commentaries on this passage, is everybody just kind of assumes we know what that means. But going back and reading again through the Gospel of John, where are the places that Jesus gives a command to somebody? What are his actual commands? Now, there are a couple of places where he's talking with an individual to whom he has already demonstrated his grace, and he tells them to stop sinning. So, the man who was healed by the pool... Jesus says, stop sinning. The woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus says, go and sin no more. But we have to have in mind as we read those couple of commands that he has already demonstrated his love and his grace towards those individuals. They didn't earn the forgiveness, the healing, and the salvation that he offered them. He calls them to respond to his grace by obeying these specific commands. Putting those couple of examples aside, whenever Jesus commands something in the Gospel of John, it has to do with listening to Him and looking to Him, going to Him for salvation, believing on Him, placing our faith in Him or in the Father, following Him, holding on to Him, feeding on Him, in other words, making Him our life. The commands of Jesus have to do with a relationship with Him, not a set of rules, but seeing and longing, and loving, and following, and clinging, and day after day walking with Jesus. The thing we have to get a hold of here is that we're not talking about some broad theological terms. We're not talking about 
cosmic questions of does Jesus love the whole world or only part of the world? We're talking about you. We're talking about me. We're talking about personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus' friends are those who follow him, who cling to him, who believe in him, who have made him their life. Let's think again about Abraham. Abraham was called God's friend. I love James chapter 2, verse 23. Abraham believed God, and it was credited, it was counted to him as righteousness. There's that moment of salvation. Believe in me, and you will be made righteous. And he was called God's friend. What was true for him can be true for every one of us. And the question that we are confronted with, and when we experience death and sorrow among us, we are particularly challenged with, do you have this personal relationship? He has demonstrated his love. He has done everything that is necessary. And he welcomes you into that circle of friendship and salvation if only you will believe. Throw yourself entirely upon him. Put aside every human effort to try and win his love and his favor. Recognize that it could never be enough in comparison to the weight of our sin debt before him. And receive what only he can give. Salvation, life, forgiveness, hope, a future. The things we were singing about, heaven, as our confidence by believing in him. Jesus loves us. Jesus calls us his friend. And it's very obvious in this passage, Jesus gives us a command. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he tells us what that means. He gives us the example of him laying down his life for us, and he tells us that we should love each other in the same way. That's a real challenge. But it goes, I believe, to even a deeper level of challenge when we recognize what he's talking about here. One thing to understand as we've gone through this passage so far is that the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf precedes our affinity, our response of love towards Him. Hear that again. The sacrifice of Christ's love on our behalf precedes it happened beforehand, before we ever felt any love or affinity towards Him. And that is played out in our relationships with each other if we are living out Jesus' kind of love. 
Paul, in Romans chapter 5, remember that verse, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The sacrifice preceding any kind of affinity on our behalf. Uh, before that, he says, there are times because people are capable of genuinely heroic and sacrificial actions. There are times that someone will lay down their life on behalf of a good person, on behalf of a person with whom they have a relationship. They know that individual and they are willing to actually die for them. That is a noble human emotion. God's love is so very different from that because we have demonstrated no love towards Him. We are still in our sin, and yet He pours out His love towards us. A very small human example from within our own church family. Six years ago, there was a lady in our church who needed a kidney. Hers were failing. The functions of her kidneys were down in the single percentages. She was desperate. There was no response from the national network of kidneys available for her, and people in our church family began to be tested. And there were actually two within our church family who came back as matches. One of them, although willing to make that sacrifice, was, eliminated because, was eliminated from the, the potential of doing that because it's very stringent as far as the requirements. But another lady within our congregation just over five years ago gave one of her kidneys so that another lady here could have life. And the thing that's remarkable is that before this event, they really hardly knew each other. You know how it is. You sit over here and somebody else sits over there and you might see them in the lobby. Or maybe you know somebody's name or every once in a while you can actually put the name together with the face. There's not the personal affinity. There's not the friendship. There's not the connection. But there is the love of Christ that is shared among us. There is Christ's special kind of love that we share regardless of personal affinity. The sacrifice was made on the basis of Christ's love, a sense that Christ is calling me to do this thing for a sister whom I don't really know very well. After that, a whole different story. Best of friends, spending time together, loving each other, praying for each other. The affinity flowed out of a sacrifice that was based on the love of of Christ. When Jesus sets himself of, up as an example of love to follow, he is saying, you have received my love regardless of your affinity towards me, and now show that kind of sacrificial love to other people, and I can prove it from Scripture. We love John 3.16. Let's look at 1 John 3.16 through 18. John got the message. John sat there and listened to Jesus talk about love, and when he wrote to the churches, his letters were replete with love. And here's what he has to say about loving each other. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Then he doesn't talk about dying on somebody else's behalf. He talks about living on somebody else's behalf. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in action and in truth. When he calls us to love as he loved us, he's calling us to the little bit of laying down of our lives that takes place in every act of service towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see it all the time. And what a joy and a blessing it is to serve each other. And we are called to do it increasingly. We are called to daily laying down of our lives. That's hard. We're called to do that in our marriages. If you've been through premarital counseling, you have likely read Paul's words, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave up his life for the church. We are called in our marriages to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed giving up the things that we might think we deserve, giving up the things that we might claim as our own, just laying them down day after day for the sake of another person whom we're called to love. We're called to do that with our kids. There are times I just want to chill, you know? It's been a long day. There's Jamie on the camera over there, probably thinking, yeah, Dad, <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> it's hard. Day after day, lay down our lives, sacrifice the things that we think that we want, the things that we deserve, to show somebody else the love of Christ. A difficult brother or sister in the church family, or those whom we might consider enemies outside of the church family. Jesus says, love like I have loved you. We love John 3.16. Jesus loves me so much. It's true. Let's love 1 John 3.16 as well and live it out every day. And one more truth about Jesus. It's just astounding. He makes us part of his plan. Verses 15 and 16 again. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I'm just going to pause right there and say, that's the same word that we have been talking about when we talk about the works of Christ. When Jesus said, you will do the things that I have been doing, that you will carry on the works that I have been carrying out, you will do the master's business of showing the love of Christ and pointing people to the Father. Excuse me. Oh, continuing to read. <clears throat> no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus makes us a part of his plan. He lets us into the inner circle of his business. A servant is in the loop. A master doesn't sit down and reveal all his plans to a servant. But a friend is in the loop. Jesus says, you are part of the circle. Here is the Father's business. You are part of the Father's business right along with me, loving people and pointing people to faith in the Father. And he doesn't simply speak that in general terms. You know, we know the Great Commission, go and make disciples of every nation. We know that filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can share the gospel in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This isn't something new. But he gets very specific in this passage. He doesn't simply let us know about his business. He gives us a place in it. He says, I chose you. This is one of those verses that gets ripped right out of its context and turned into a proof text about election. And it's true. God chose us for salvation, and that's beautiful. It's one of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about election to salvation. He's talking about election to mission. I have chosen you to go and bear fruit. And he doesn't only choose us and give us that mission. He actually gives us a place within it. He says here, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. This is actually a play on the words where Jesus says, I lay down my life. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Lay down and appoint are the same word. He's saying, I am laying you down. I am putting you in a designated place. I have chosen you, and I am placing you in a designated spot so that you can bear fruit. Where you are now or where you are going because you have been called is where Jesus has placed you to bear the kind of fruit that will last. And here he's talking about souls who need the love of Christ just as much as we need the love of Christ. He's launching the disciples. He's saying, you're going out from this place to another place where I'm putting you for the sake of bearing fruit. And he's launching every single one of us on that mission. You are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. And so we get back again to the idea of laying down our lives. 
day in and day out, making the sacrifices that are necessary for the sake of people who don't know Jesus. Many of you saw the email yesterday. If you didn't, I'm sorry to give you this news right here with everybody else, um, but we have a sister in the Lord, Anne White, who went to be with Jesus uh, Friday evening, very unexpectedly. And for those of us who know Anne, it's just kind of hard to understand why Jesus would do that, um, but we know that, that he is good. Not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Anne this morning, but there are people whom I know who know Jesus because Anne lived this kind of life. Whether you go all the way back to youth group and serving in VBS as a volunteer and children's ministries and five-day clubs during the summer, all the way forward to her ministry with Transworld Radio to get the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world through the airways. Anne lived out this truth, loving with the kind of love that Jesus has day in and day out, real quiet, real humbly, serving and showing the way to the Savior. But what I actually want to mention this morning is somebody that probably very few here know, and that is Anne's friend Lisa, who when they were about 12 years old became Anne's best friend. And Lisa knew Jesus, and Anne didn't know Jesus. And Lisa showed her friend the way to her Savior. Now, I don't know about you, when I was 12 years old, I didn't have all the arguments for the gospel laid out in my mind. I wasn't well-trained. I doubt that Lisa was either. But she loved her friend. And Jesus had placed her in that position to point her friend to Jesus. And she was simply faithful in doing that. That was followed on by somebody else being faithful day to day. And that's followed on by others being faithful. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Remember, the greater works, they might not be spectacular, but they're the work of Jesus, getting the good news around the world, serving with the love of Christ, laying down our life day in and day out. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your great love. And I do pray, along with the Apostle, Lord, give us the power to understand how great is your love towards us. And then to know, to experience your love. And I believe that if we truly understood if we truly knew it and experienced it and lived it, then it would overflow outside of us to those around us. Father, we long, 
We long for people to see Jesus in our loving service and in our faithful witness. Help us to know your love, which is prior and out of which everything else springs. And to live out your love as shown to us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.